0: Hello and welcome to the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Hugh, and today we're joined by Margaret Takash to talk about a leader's role in leading change within an organization. A coach, trainer, consultant, and speaker with over 15 years of experience in the corporate and the not-for-profit world, Margaret has worked right across the world and brings a wealth of experience as a global change consultant and engagement director at Deutsche Post DHL. So Margaret, welcome.
1: Hi, good afternoon.
0: Um, So let's dive straight into it. What quality in a leader would you regard as being the sort of foundation stone for any successful change initiative within an organization? Is it good communication, being an expert in the area where the change is happening?
1: I would say probably communications is a key cornerstone of being a successful change leader. Um, one of the short expression that really uh, expresses how important it is that a change leader is uh, on the top of everything, is being active and visible. Active meaning the person actually does things that is visible to other people, that is actively communicating, um, make sure that it's a two-way communication. So communication here is really hearing out the concerns that people have being able to understand the root cause of those concerns and addressing them. Um, many times, change leaders in big big organizations believe that if they have enough people that do so-called change management, it's enough. But they have a very important role in influencing um, the flow of a change process. If they draw model the change, if they really foster the understanding, if they make sure that they can and people can develop their skills and talent, and there is some kind of sustaining mechanism. Mechanism that's when they will be really um, good good change leaders.
0: And is that communication a consistent process? Is it, as you say, leading by example all the time? Or is it having, you know, town hall meetings every, every week, every month?
1: I think town hall meetings and newsletters are almost the basics Mm -hmm. and most of us in different organizations just want to put a little tick sign uh, by communications it's however not enough it's just really um, the very fundamentals to to make sure that there is some communication, and clarity about what the change is about but a good change leader would take time to enable some of their key people uh, to make sure that they can actually identify the influencers amongst employees amongst stakeholders and equip them with the right skills to manage their resistance. So as a change leader, I wouldn't say you would need to be responsible to tackle all the resistance uh, factors, but you would be responsible to tackle um, at the senior leadership level any any roadblocks and uh, people who may pose those roadblocks and make sure that your, your key influencers and ch- change practitioners are capable of dealing with the obstacles, the emotional obstacles that uh, will surface.
0: And how should the message be sort of framed? Should it be a, just a sort of a mission type, should mission type statement, or should it be a very detailed? Um, sort of flowcharts and this is exactly what we're doing and like pillars and you know all that sort of thing.
1: If it comes from a change leader I would say a high level vision would be good to start with. Um, The big problem is when we just stay with high level visions. Um, I believe that a change leader should be capable of actually translating um, this new reality that he or she wants to drive the organization to into simple terms, very often just telling people what is it that they will have to start, stop and continue doing. there is, there is a very interesting study about what do people look at when they look at face, um, Facebook or, or YouTube um, movies and photos. And the answer is they are looking for themselves. And there is a reason for that. You want to see whether you look well, you don't look well, what are you doing in that moment, what kind of image you project. And the same kind of philosophy applies when uh, you and I find out about the change that our organization or community will go through. Uh, you want to see yourself in that change which means you want to know okay in the future of the movie of the future what will I be doing differently and as much as possible you would need to emphasize as a change leader what are the things you already do well that you need to continue so when you tell them what they should stop and start doing it's not so overwhelming
0: and how should I think you touched on a little bit there but how should the, the senior leader sort of manage those resistances and let's take one example the person that thinks they might lose their job. How should the, the, the leader sort of message and talk to those sort of people?
1: Uh, let me give you an example. A couple of years ago, I worked on a finance transformation program in the UK. Within four months, uh, 80% of the employees lost their, uh, their, their jobs. This was a team of 80 people, so 64 people were about to lose their jobs. I was working with the CFO, with the chief financial officer and, and her team. They were very much down in the emotional curve. They were denying and resisting the idea but from the global office they were told either you do it or, or there will be consequences. As we often hear it's my way or the highway. So these change leaders, the five of them were really put in a checkmate situation mm-hmm. because they had to let go 64 of their people who in the same year January got a fantastic um, recognition for being the best performing global team. Yeah. They had to let them go, they had to announce that it's going to uh, impact them. Uh, Two last levels of approach that they change leaders can do. One is depending on the country and the context they work in, they have to see what is the legal process that has to be taken care of. In some countries it's very easy to let people go. In some countries there are a great deal of worker unions said mm-hmm. negotiations. If that's not taken care of and the rumor mill will start, you before the implementation you already have failed. Yeah. So take care of that one. The other side is the emotional side. Imagine that in this case, 64 people and their families possibly living who uh, is going to be put at stake. Uh, the CFO, uh, this person was, I believe, very emotionally intelligent. She said, I'm not gonna put a positive spin around it. I know in another country where this was announced, the management team was kind of trying to make it a business as usual change, but it isn't. Uh, she said that if um, she and her four direct reports don't agree on how to deal with the emotions, uh, and before they would start um, the implementation of uh, letting people go, they would fail. What they agreed on is they will have a town hall meeting because they have to legally announce mm-hmm. what is happening. And you asked me about the facts and figures and exact plans. So that has to be taken care of. But immediately after that, because people will get into the emotional pit very quickly, um, it's for them to have small team meetings with the managers mm-hmm. and then individual meetings in the very same afternoon. Um, these managers have to be also prepared on how to communicate that Um, of course in some countries there is a legal script that is given but most countries actually allow some leeway in it Um, and uh, in that case we normally as change consultants we work with these leaders to prepare them for different scenarios so for example what is the reaction what is their reaction as change leaders if people say it's not the right time I have this and that going on at work I have this and that working Mm -hmm. uh, happening uh, in, in my life at home, you have to be prepared for those scenarios. Um, And as a last note, these change managers, managers can't really be successful unless there is a very good trust and rapport already built, because negative news you don't want to receive, especially you don't want to receive it from someone that you don't respect or you don't accept.
0: We've been quite negative so far. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the sort of the, the positive positive changes. And we should probably just parse the sort types of changes that an organization would typically go through. I'm thinking of cultural specific projects. So what would you say are the common types of change um, within an organization?
1: It's funny you say we've been negative so far. (laughs) Most of the times uh, change consultants are called up and when it's really difficult change and there are lots of roadblocks. Uh, There are indeed positive changes as well and usually we are not so much sought uh, after in those cases. Um, However, as you ask me about the typical types of changes, of course you have process changes, system changes. um, We have project team changes. for example enabling project teams to be able to tackle the resistance we also have team changes for example when a new manager a new leader joins a team and the team seems to be struggling with accepting a new leadership style it's not negatively not necessarily negative mm. uh, but it is something that we can help with uh, through team uh, manager uh, assimilation programs and we also have culture changes as you mentioned um, culture change is the fluffiest one often is to for example um, to f- define a guiding uh, principle mm. for the organization or values and the leadership team or the shareholders even want to have that to be in the DNA of the organization. It's something interesting, something positive, yet until it becomes the part of the day-to-day operation, and it's not just part of a PowerPoint or a poster, it's in vain. Mm. And uh, that's when we usually work with, uh, with change leaders to arrange meetings, workshops, and even little inside competitions, friendly competitions about how to bring those values, how to bring those guiding principles to life.
0: Um, during your, uh, change initiatives, I'm, I'm always fascinated by those senior leaders getting the right information. Mm-hmm. Um, how can they ensure that they get accurate information at the right time during a change initiative, which are, which must have a lot of stakeholders with a lot of their own um, motivations?
1: Mm, I think when you say right information, I would already question what is the right information. Um, I guess the truth, nothing but the truth. Truth is the aspiration of any change leaders. I would say there are two routes for this. One of them is the formal route of information flow. Um, so you have governance systems uh, within a project team, you have steering boards, whatever terminologies you want to use for them. There is a channel of communication that you should receive as change leader, um, preferably two-way communications. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say equally it's important to have an informal channel of information. Uh, this informal channel of information doesn't mean necessarily corridor talks, because uh, some leaders are saying, okay, I don't have time to uh, stand by the water cooler or uh, just listening at the, at the canteens to to dialogues, joining uh, to dialogues. Um, I believe if you establish a certain group of people, we have different terminologies like guiding coalition, as uh, John mm-hmm. Cotter likes naming it, or a local change agent team, you can have that. Uh, either it's Um, For this informal route of um, information flow, either you have a guiding coalition or local change team, you are looking for opinion leaders at the next levels, all the way to the most junior level of um, uh, the organization and try to leverage on them.
0: And can you talk about that, how that would operate in a practical? Yeah. Um, So let's just take a, uh, we have a lot of multinationals here in Dublin, so let's take a multinational example lots of different departments that uh, managing director may have external stakeholders from the international hq so how can they set up a system within their company that they can actually get truthful accurate information at the right time throughout that organization in a practical process?
1: There are some platforms that are provided by different vendors to regularly do pulse checks with employees. Um, These can be, for example, on the internal uh, company websites, short surveys that are appearing and people voluntarily can vote. Um, the The leaders, the leadership team can define those questions and then almost on a daily basis you see how people are feeling about uh, the change itself. Uh, to disadvantage of this one, you can put, a, of course, the positive one is you can put a team to it Mm. Uh, but one is that it's voluntary so you don't know whether resisting or negative people would vote and the other one is usually you get a bit of temperature check but you don't necessarily know what is the core reason for Mm. any negative comments so for international organizations as well you mentioned that there are lots of multinational companies here in Ireland I would say that establishing um, sounding boards local change teams would be very important and how would you invite people to this Um, it's the leadership team's responsibility to identify who are the opinion leaders or tribal chiefs. Um, I've come across many leadership teams who somehow they just nominated for this team, their mm. best person, and then I had um, a bunch of jolly happy employees <laughs> of different levels talking about the change. It's not good enough. Yeah. Uh, we need to be able to invite both resistors all the way to innovators and early and late adapters as well, uh, because those resistors can tell us what is the problem, what is causing the rumors, and the innovators, the very innovative guys, can can come up with ideas how to tackle those if they are working together. So I would say the change leader does need some form of um, a group of employees of these influencer employees.
0: So the senior leader essentially has to identify a diverse group of people within their organization and then sort of almost formalize that process.
1: That's correct, and very importantly, I came across actually uh, in, in uh, Eastern Europe. I came across uh, one of these uh, setups, and many of the employees who were nominated, they felt they were asked to spy on the others. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that would um, resonate also with the Irish culture mm. and the companies over here. Uh, but it's very important how you set these up and how you invite people over. Um, you need to be clear on your. We are expecting you to be the sounding board of um, the concerns of people you don't have to spy on them Uh, we are asking you to be part of the solution how to bring other people on board so it's a bit more empowering but we always have to look at how people perceive such Mm. invitations for these local change teams
0: and and talking about perceptions i'm always fascinated why managers would fudge numbers Mm. Um, it always seems to me the truth will always out so what causes managers to fudge the numbers during a change process and how can leaders counteract this
1: a lot of leaders I work with, they say that uh, we only believe the numbers we have faked. Um, and it's true because uh, all the numbers can be tweaked in a way that is perceived more positively. Uh, you asked me what is the reason why they would be fudging these numbers. My impression and my experience is because they want to be perceived positively. They want to save the face regardless of the obstacles they have. You, you were wondering how to overcome this. When it comes to change processes, change programs, and uh, leaders possibly trying to fidget with the numerical representation of how people feel, I believe that's when it's good to have someone external or semi-external, semi-external, I mean external to the Mm. change context itself, because you need a neutrality where the person who is collating that data, who's collating those feedback is not um, recognized or punished based on the outcome of that. If it's someone who is part of the uh, the area where this change is happening, you will always have this danger of um, numbers being tweaked.
0: And beyond that as well, in terms of uh, change projects that fail, should there be a system set up for rewarding employees that either initiate a change project or drive through it? that's ultimately unsuccessful?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I think it takes a lot of um, gut to be able to do that from a change leader point of view, from a leadership team point of view. It takes a lot of gut because unless this accepting failures is part of the DNA of the organization and it's a principle that's accepted by all the employees or most of employees, it's really hard to put failures in a positive context. Mm. I'm not saying it's it's incorrect to do that, but I'm just saying, really, real, in terms of reality, it, it is a it is a challenge. Um, I've come across teams uh, within my organization where they had a wall of uh, some of them joked a wall of shame or a wall of failures where they could actually put up um, put up small uh, notes about what is what are the mistakes they've made. Um, they had a very light-hearted culture and they didn't mind that others would see what mistakes they've committed. Um, it was a great opportunity for others to see what mistakes were already made, um, to learn from each other that way and it was really important that these mistakes were not necessarily celebrated or rewarded by the leaders, but accepted and also acknowledged and encouraged. Um, I haven't come across too many teams and areas where this was the case, but I believe it's it's uh, commendable when, when the culture is, is strong enough and the DNA of a team or a department, a business unit is strong enough to do that.
0: Um, you've, t- you've mentioned culture a couple of times now
1: mm-hmm.
0: Do, does the culture always impact on what type of change project you can have and how you deliver it
1: it does Um, we can talk about just to simplify it on national cultures and organizational cultures Um, so I've had the chance to do um, various assignments to work on different assignments across, uh, across the continents I can say that I've come across for example change practitioners from the Middle East who said well all these stakeholder influencing will just not work we just have to do what our bosses have said or in Southeast Asia some of them said yeah we can ask people but they will probably not vo- verbalize it vocally make it easy to understand why they resist things so any kind of change methodology you have to adjust to the local reality of the of the national culture uh, that is dominating in the and the entity you are working in the other one is organizational culture that I mentioned to you I believe that is also important that you consider what is the organizational culture what are the values how well are they embraced and whether you can use these values as references to open up dialogues. Uh, So I would say both 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 types of cultures are equally important.
0: Now, changing tack a little bit, we've talked Mm -hmm. about the the communications of the message and the way the information should flow around the organization. When it comes to decision making, where should the decision rights go? Should the general philosophy be to empower team leaders and members, or should decision making be centralized up Mm -hmm. near the top? and you're not allowed to use the word balance
1: in your answer I'm uh, happy not to use that word um, I would say that for any kind of changes and transformation the leader or the leadership team needs to have the decision making power on what is in the boundaries, what is in scope um, it's almost like finding an area for a playground in mm. a big field, uh, it is their responsibility and they should be able to say yes you can play within this area but not outside mm. why? because any kind of business is have shareholders and it's not just a playground of anyone doing anything. You still have to accomplish certain things that the business requires from you. Within that area, within the boundaries, I believe that um, managers, team leaders, supervisors and employees should be given an opportunity uh, to influence what is done. Mm. So that's what we would call it in general empowerment. Um, and I believe they should still give visibility to the leaders on what is happening so that they see how this playground is being built up along the way and how it's becoming the place they want to work in in the future as well.
0: So is that again, is that linked? So you give them the parameters through the message Mm -hmm. um, so they can make a decision, but they communicate those decisions back up the chain.
1: Yes and it's not necessarily for approval but to keep them updated of course if at any time the senior leaders feel something is not going on well they should be informed and they should be able to say okay stop right now uh, but usually if you've if you've outlined the boundaries well enough then then that sh- should not be happening mm.
0: I think that's sort of talking about the internal change process, but how does a leader create that sort of flexible, agile organization that naturally adapts itself to the changes in the external marketplace? Again, I'm not necessarily th- talking about sort of a specific initiative, but rather sort of those continuous, subtle shifts that you need to achieve better results.
1: When I hear about agility and when we discuss that with different uh, leaders, usually um, over the last three, four years, agility always comes up as a core skill of any kind of leaders because of the, the very important fast-paced changing digitalization or g- digital transformation that's, where, uh, that's happening all around us. Agility to me means that um, if you want to create an agile organization, that you it has to start with you. So first of all, you as a change leader, you have to to be able to define what is uh, what does it mean to be agile and set an example with that. I'm not a big fan of walking the talk because it's still fluffy, but for example, if um, uh, if I go with a leader wanting to make more digital platforms within the organization, he or she should be the first one who shows how it can work, how he or she is making the most out of it, even admit uh, what is it that has been challenging in, in this transformation. There are some researches that actually show that a really high percentage of people um, have have their interest triggered if their role models, their leaders are setting up an example mm-hmm. for this. A big bunch of people will follow any kind of changes, for example in becoming more agile, if they see the data, okay if I will do these things and I will I will I will be able to do that. And also if they hear inspiring or even failure stories uh, that they want to follow or they want to overcome or do better.
0: How do measure results is the parameters for any change initiative is it applied by yourself or are there sort of standard standard metrics that you would say you should always measure this, this, and this?
1: No standard metrics, but there are a bunch of them you can choose from. Um, almost always there is a measurement on whether the project or the change is on time and on budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the technical, the hard facts. Uh, good change leaders would also see whether people are tagging along or not and for that you can do for example past surveys that I mentioned to you Um, when we are managing different uh, change initiatives we often often do change perception uh, profiles where we ask people around certain aspects of the change and how do they perceive for example the change being led whether there there is a shared need whether the to be scenario is clear whether they feel they are heard and understood and And those those kind of uh, feedback you can actually um, put into numbers and you can uh, can compare them. Uh, A big uh, warning sign there, if you do it for an international organization, an MNC, you have to be careful on how you compare these results across cultures, um, because the results can be very high even in a negative setup, for example in the Philippines, and they can be really low in Japan where they are much more critical of any kind of surveys. Um, this is a very good way to put numbers into perceptions because some leaders are much more comfortable dealing with information and data than just comments and uh, reasons for people to resist. And uh, one of my recent experiences was that we asked people to answer uh, on a chart uh, how happy they are with the different activities I just mentioned on a scale of one to five. And they had to do it first on their own. They said, okay, I think on a scale of one to five, I feel feel that the change is being led by our leaders quite well so it's four I think the shared need is somewhat clear three three and a half um I think the to be state where we are going to be what will be different is really bad it's one and as we had this bunch of people about 60 of them going to the stage well stage uh, to a big flip chart just to put up the same dots themselves into this chart um what we realized is that what was on the individual charts that we gathered after they were anonymous and what was on the big flip chart were different. And this initiated a fantastic dialogue with the change leader, the CEO of that uh, area, because that was a clear sign that even though you say uh, trust and openness is one of your values, your employees don't dare to tell you how they feel about the change. And this has triggered to various discussions about what he could do differently, his leadership team and how we could repeat the exercise in a way that we can actually do something with this perception assessment.
0: It, it's interesting to say that in terms of, because we talked about being a good communicator, etc., cetera, as, as a good um, thing for a CEO. But for those leaders and those change leaders, uh, are there common misjudgments or even personality traits that would commonly cause leaders to misfire during a change initiative?
1: It's a tough one to answer because of course there are some personality traits like a leader not wanting to admit mistakes, him or herself, that might be right away a, a blockage in terms of helping him or her to become a really good change leader. When it comes to being perceptive Uh, enough and self-reflective, I would say that makes a big difference. A really good change leader, there's to drive the change, there's to influence and also provide some stability to people. Um, There's to challenge the quality of the outputs that comes uh, come across. But very importantly also, a good change leader has to be mindful. If, if as a personality trait, um, a change leader is not mindful, is not able to recognize his or her emotions, recognize in other people these emotions, I think that would most likely put that change leader at risk of becoming a strong change leader ever. I'm
0: working now throughout your the organization, there's lots of organizations that are constantly putting initiatives, uh, innovative projects. Does change uh, fatigue ever occur where employees just say, oh God, not another one? And uh, again, how can leaders sort of recognize that?
1: I think most leaders have a gut feel that there is a change fatigue and most of the organizations have plenty of changes going on in a parallel manner. So that's a common common syndrome, I would say, from the from the teams and areas I have worked with. It is easy to recognize. That's when, when you announce a change, you want to create awareness and you want to ask them, do you want to be part of the change? Most people just stay silent or they just turn away. So it's fairly easy to recognize that um, the biggest challenge with change fatigue is that when you manage a lot of changes and people haven't got through their change curve, it will be too overwhelming and both their productivity and their motivation and engagement will, will decrease. When I talk about the change curve, it's just starting with all of us reacting to any kind of changes with a first moment of denial, then we resist with all our forces, all the facts, what's happening. We get into a a pit of a danger zone, a pit of uh, feelings, and then eventually we will get into exploring and accepting phases. If people are still in this denial and resistance phase about a change, and you want you haven't got them through this little curve and up in terms of productivity and motivation, and you right away announce another change when they are um, when they are at the denial phase of the first change. That's when they become overwhelmed, and that deep in emotional motivation is just going to go so deep uh, so deep down that uh, you will have an, a serious consequence in terms of even business performance. Uh, there are lots of researches that show that if m MP- employees are not motivated if they are not engaged. It influences how they handle the customers' requests and uh, customer satisfaction will suffer. When customer satisfaction suffers, those customers will not stay loyal. They will leave to the competitors. They will just let that organization go. And obviously, this would heavily influence two things that a lot of shareholders actually, first of all, um, look at, which is profitability and business growth. So this first step that I just mentioned to you, this engagement, this keeping people on board, helping them through this emotional curve out of the denial and resistance is a must. A lot of change leaders don't want to work on this because it's so much easier to work with uh, templates, reports, Mm -hmm. and the technical part of project management uh, because people do speak back, uh, Excel tables don't. So uh, there's still a natural tendency of rather going the easy way, but you need both the technical and the human factor to take care of.
0: Let's go to the opposite end of scale. Um, That sort of mature company that has been doing things the same way for year on year and year on year. What's the danger in sort of change boredom, let's say? Mm -hmm. Again, can you recognize when there aren't enough empowered individuals within your organization that are actually trying to drive change.
1: Mm. These organizations might also be called like dinosaur organization who always done in a certain way everything and there is always a danger that um, if an organization have got in a role of doing the same things if they feel overly confident about their their position in the market that they would lose out on the dynamic ideas and innovations of let's say small startups or simply young innovators from different generations, of course, it's quite visible because their financial results, the two elements I mentioned to you, business growth and profitability, will be uh, going down year on year. So um, even the hardcore information-driven leaders have to admit something is wrong. Mm.
0: Okay, Uh, final question. Let's take the the really long view into the the future. How should major companies handle the switch over to automation and even beyond that AI and robots? Are there lessons we can take from the move to a digital world that's happened over the last few decades?
1: I think when it comes to AI automation or even the digital transformations that we've been seeing for, for a while now, um, even the changes before, they all have a common uh, threat um, in, in, in these uh, experiences. And it is that people don't resist the changes, they resist being changed. So um, most people know that the digital transformation within an organization is needed and it is the next step because they see it at home, they see it on their phone, on their gadget, with their kids. So there's not much of a challenge on, okay, we have to do it. But you need to be able to make it easier for them to digest. So understanding what will be different with automation and AI, how it will influence their jobs, their day-to-day work the expectations from them I think will make it uh, very very important
0: i sorry, just follow up. Is that literally the CEO standing up and saying, "This is what we think is going to happen"? This is what we think. Is mm. it again telling the truth, or is it just managing expectations?
1: It's managing expectations, but it should not be just the CEO who say that. When I talk about change leaders, it does not mean just the board members. Uh, it is all the way to supervisors who are managing groups of eight to mm. ten people, or managers who are managing that many people. Uh, change leaders, to me, can appear in many, many levels of the organizations, and by far, not uh, by far the CEO would not be sufficient. And if I may add to it, some people glorify change management and change leadership. But I think, and I'm a, and a consultant in this field, to me, change management is common sense with a structure. Common sense, because you all have to rely on your gut feel, your intuition, when you work with people, when you realize there is resistance, what might be the case. Um, that common sense is in every each and every of us. Uh, the structure, common sense with a structure, in change management, there are lots of tools tw- tools, assessments, metrics that you can use in order to objectify what you are sensing. And the two together, your common sense, your intuition, and some tools and practical um, practical techniques that can help you uh, overcome these challenges, shall it be automation, AI, cultural transformations, anything.
0: Perfect. I think that's a lovely way to it, uh, Margaret, thank you very much.
1: Pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you.